was it? So what, there's a couple other things I think that really struck me that they did with the set that have been, you know, they've done this recently with a couple of sets, but this one in particular, it, sorry, the, my brain is now going down a, a bunch of different pathways because it, it felt different this time, even though it's something that has been happening more recently, which we know that the Japanese market is one of the markets that, you know, Wizards does very well in and they want to. So there's been kind of, there was the War of the Spark alternate art uh, Japanese planeswalkers that had some very famous uh, Japanese artists who were commissioned. And the same thing happened with some of the mystical archives that were versions that were there. But this felt different, especially from what I know. And this is, I, I know a lot less about Japanese culture, but from what I've seen is who they got and who they involved. And they talked about this a little bit on the world building was like literally involving basically studio side things in Japan. But these alt art kind of Japanese cards or these alt art cards that have a very cyberpunk feel to it using traditional Japanese artists. Um, oh, you mean like the guy who did, uh, was it Fist of the North Star? Yeah, yeah. Fist of the North Star, North Star. who did um, yep. alternate Kaito. Mm -hmm. Yes. But the whole, I, I was, I mean, like from what I've seen, the, the uh, all those alternate arts like that are actually, are, are, are people that are involved with like that genre. Yeah, yeah, they do a lot of different anime, uh, video game art, uh, manga, and then as well as um, I think a chunk of them also do card fight Vanguard. So they're probably just like some artists that they also had a retainer that they go like, hey, we're actually doing this new set. We know we haven't hired you for a while, but would you like to work on this? And I, I think that little bit of extra effort of like utilizing their pre-existing resources just shows that they care, you know? It's true. Yeah. And I mean, some of the talent that they've got for... Uh, I just remember the Yoshitaka Amano <laughs> and Luliana or General and being like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. The the bolus the the bolus was absolutely gorgeous. I know um uh they they there was a photo recently of like because they got artist proofs of it and I've actually had this come up when I've been trying to search for some of these. Like the 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 artists that they use are not artists who really know what an artist proof is necessarily, or like that there is a market for them because it's like trying to track down some of those ones. Oh, yeah. Because they're just not the artists that would ever have really thought about it. But that art is incredible. Those different styles. The bolus, obviously, I guess we can't go an episode without me talking about bolus. But understandable. I mean, and even with the the last set, we had a, what was it, uh, Kojima did the Sore and the Mirthless. Oh, yeah, did gosh. all the Castlevania art. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so good. So good. So, yeah. It, once again, we are we are in a prime position to integrate as much Japanese media <laughs> media into this game as possible which is i mean it's it's really interesting right because and uh brian i'm sure you can talk about this too where it's like it's so cool that we're seeing a lot of this representation but as part of the diaspora like this hits differently for us right oh yeah again it's it's like i'm feeling a weird kind of void but like in in a very satisfying kind of way i i can look at like cards on the star and go like hey that's kind of like me or i kind of dig that and you know, it's just like there's just this weird visceral experience you get from being able to kind of like play cards and like understand and go like just again, like you see a little bit of yourself or you feel like represented in the game. Or again, if you're going to take a cynical view, like I'm worth marketing to. Thank God. 
<laughs> my money is worth pursuing. I mean, my I mean, is just as good as anyone I, else's. Even though I never got a response, I actually wrote a letter to Julie Barrow, who did the first Tetsuo Umazawa art, mm-hmm. which looks like she was trying to go for a certain stylistic thing. And it was just pretty much me saying, like, hey, I understand this was an assignment, but by doing this very simple art and this very simple design, you know, I felt more represented in the game. It's actually one of my favorite cards, and yada, yada, yada. Um, but it's just it's those little things that make so much difference uh, when you're f- playing a game and feeling more welcome because the more normalized you you have people in the game being shown, the less likely they are to be like kind of ostracized or exiled. You know, there's a less othering, oh, so obviously. to speak. Yeah, yeah, super. And I think that's what is so great about this set so far is that they are paying attention to those details and they're letting those details inform um, how they basically how they let everything else evolve about it, which is super great. <laughs> so we're, we're we're recording this kind of a um the story just finished up dropping this this week um as you kind of said ryan like the one thing we could talk about was i i mean what i loved was that we got story ahead of cards so that i wasn't getting key things spoiled by the cards themselves um i mean that's you know it's one of the things that we've we've talked about is happened with how the story or lack of story has rolled out recently I really appreciated having that. Uh, I actually did like it in digestible kind of short stories again um, to, to get. And, and I will say, too, that the cards that have come out so far, I'm really digging. And uh, uh, we do get our Splinter. We get our Master Splinter Ninja. Yeah. But um, we the, get our Star Fox. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> sorry. It's really also, the Kitsune, yeah. We also got um, a Ninja Turtle. Yes a ninja turtle so far and so like you know it, okay we're still gonna get that stuff right like i i think that that's part of the game alex and i talked about this a little bit when we got together earlier this week like the kind of the the ninja rat lord would have been great to get in uh, like a commander legends or something that was like a one-off set uh versus in the main storyline but by and large i've been very happy with the cards that have been coming out so far despite there being like a ninja rat master and the ninja turtle itself i i have a feeling people aren't going to remember the set just for that and i think that's kind of what's important they're going to remember it for like the, the deep cultural and like rich tapestry they kind of uh, bad imagery the rich um like environment that they've created like for kamigawa now they're not gonna they're not gonna know it for the memes is what i mean that yeah you know? exactly and, like, like, that's actually yeah. kind of important like, I actually had a checklist of things I assumed that they would do when they came back to Kamigawa. And actually, the Ninja Turtles is the only one that I've checked off that um, was going to happen. I was actually expecting them to do a really kind of forced lone wolf and cub or a bunch of Kurosawa references or things like that. But luckily, we... There are. Instead of, like, the seven dwarves from... Uh... Oh, uh, from from, El- from like Eldrin, it's like you are seven samurai. The more samurai you collect, oh god, the stronger the samurai are. Every oh, time you man. play a samurai, I, still, this kind, I love that film so much. Though it's so good, you can have you can have up to seven of this samurai in your deck. It's like oh, I played a card called Rashomon. What does it do? It rewinds back the turn and it changes how it happened. Oh man. <laughs> I was thinking um, that, that instead of the brothers Yamazaki and there only being two, that there were seven of them. Oh, that would have been actually a kind of like subtle but nice like throwback nod. I mean, yeah. I still would have groaned a little, but secretly I would have been like, <laughs> that's dope. <laughs> oh, and I will say though, it's weird. And they're smart about it though, because they're integrating parts that are like very prominent in pop culture that are still have their basis in history. And I can never pronounce the character's name right because he's a Naruto character that's actually based on the um, the Toad Ninja, Jayaru. I can never pronounce it right. Can anyone? Uh, Are you guys into that? 
Uh, but they have the Toad Ninja in the set. Yeah, I see Frog Rider Japanese story because that's <laughs> one I was not. As... It's like Jairu or something. Um, but anyway, they they had that, and that's very obviously. They um, I, I saw the designer posting about it. Like, yeah, this is a reference. Oh, it's Jiraiya. To, yeah, it's referencing the old uh, the old folktale and stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's true, but we know why you really put that in there. We know that you're trying to get all the Naruto stands and stuff, and that's fine. I mean, from a marketing perspective, that's good. It is founded in a old like Japanese folktale that was later made into like a kabuki drama and stuff like that. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of like putting I, information out there without a strong opinion when we're the other. i mean i i i when i saw that i was like okay give me some momentaro please give me some peach boy where's my oh, peach boy man, that'd be so good <laughs> give me that peach boy give me him oh give me him so really good real. have him have him be like a druid he can like have a bunch of animals who follow him oh that'd be so good like, like, I, it, you know what's weird is actually if you watch anime they reference that story a lot that, that oh, one yeah. comes up way more it's 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 a good one if so if you haven't read um what she's what michelle's referring to go look it up it's a really it's it's strange because i was raised in you know western society but it's a very interesting story um essentially a boy born of peach like i mean that's how it starts out it's it's yeah so it's uh it's super cute uh quick story time uh yeah so so little so there's this, this old elderly couple in japan um they're like oh heck you know we've been old for a really long time i wish we had kids but we didn't and then um, the his and then the wife was like washing clothes on the river, um, as you do, and she sees this big peach kind of like going by, and she's like, "Hey, peach, what's up? You want to come over here?" And so she sings a song to lure the peach over, and because the peach really likes her song, the peach comes over, and she brings it back, and she's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, we're getting the peach tonight." And so she brings it back. Her husband's like, oh, we're going to eat this peach. And she's like, yeah, we're going to eat this peach. And then the peach is like, "Uh uh-uh. And then the peach splits open and there's a baby inside. So they're poplars. (laughs) Kind of, yeah. I mean. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, Futurama probably was actually could have been referencing this i'm just yeah and, and so and so the the kid's like yo the gods were like y'all are really cute we're gonna give you the sun you've been good people and they were like huzzah and so he grew up into um a, a really cool boy and he was like i'm gonna go eat kick some kick some yokai butt um and and then we were like okay go kick some actually not oh, yokai i think they're onis yeah, uh, I so they're demons, yeah. I think they're demons. So yeah, he was like, I'm gonna go kick some demon butt. And he they were like, okay, but before you go, here's a bunch of millet cakes. Be nice to people. So they raised him right. And then later on he met a bunch of hungry animals, and one by one they followed him because he gave them yummy cakes. And then they went and uh and got rid of all the onis and got rich. It's actually more akin to like the Superman story, you know, the whole um elderly couple finds mystical baby that has powers well not necessarily well, i mean he kind of does have magical powers. powers yeah he does have magical powers it's not like as pronounced as like superman type stuff but it's definitely like he's a fierce fighter and stuff i mean it's more of a kid story but you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean he he can talk to animals it's pretty rad yeah <laughs> yeah imagine so, is imagine superman just ro- just like going roaming around with like a big peach on his on his chest instead i'd be down for that I mean, 100%. in today's society, that could look really weird, especially if it was an emoji Butt peach. Man. Butt man. <laughs> oh, so 
as a weird tangent, you mentioned yokai. I, I've been posting not as much recently, but like when the first previews came out, I had like what could be cool in Kamigawa, and and I'm gonna be honest, it was mainly just I was on a really big Japanese urban legends kick. It doesn't seem like they will be as prominent in this set as they because they had one full cycle of them in the um in the original Kamigawa. Well, I was kind of hoping for more kind of like I know it's not the horror plane, but like some like horror based spirits because there's so many interesting ones based out of Japan. Like, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like the slit mouth woman, the eight foot tall woman that everyone managed to thirst over for some reason. Because that's the thing right now. Uh, when we were talking about kind of like the, the Japanese kind of urban myths or the urban legends, um, I kind of thought of a little bit about uh, when Kato was going to look for um, the Nizami, the Nizumi, like into the forest. Like this kind of, I like whispered, nashi that knew about tezzeret sort of thing that that there was kind of like the forest was a different area um I, I really enjoyed that in the story part of it i don't know if it really fits into that horror trope but well i yeah. mean there is like actually an urban legend about a city that never changed since like uh, i think before the edo period there's like you know it's their equivalent of like a like inbred hillbillies who've just lived in their own society sectioned off to the world there was like this whole urban legend that like there's a tunnel kind of like in spirited away but obviously very different where it said something to the extent of like all modern laws and civilities end at this tunnel and it's this whole story of like this weird secluded off village where there exists this other kind of not shoot off of the human race but essentially a lot of cannibals who just never evolved or never like got out of like that kind of like savage like feudal time um i mean that's kind of what i thought of when i heard about like the the whispers of the Nizumi village, but it seems okay. like a lot of the Nizumi are well integrated in modern Kamigawa. So yeah, and, I, and I'm hoping to see more of that from the cards. I mean, the story we got was. I want to talk about it just briefly. Okay, um, let's talk only about the story. Yeah, no, yeah, good. The, because the story itself did show us kind of like this blend of where the tradition and how we're we're 1,200 years later, but we're still on Kamigawa, and you like you said, the integration is going on. We see it between the kami. There, you know, we have like. Uh, street vendors that have kami that are like sitting right beside them that get mad if you don't like feed them too they're integrated into your society now they're going to help you but you also better keep them happy and there's kind of this you know we we see much more of the symbiotic relationship that can happen oh um, yeah like yeah. the kami the imperial dishware you best keep that kami happy kaito didn't <laughs> like I, I love the the, 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 the we, you know this this was a, a little bit of a thread that went on like the kami of boring things or the kami of like mundane things but like it was awesome right like yeah the, i i love integrated. the thread about kami of mundane things it was so great so i kami think of it, working pens oh yeah, yeah i <laughs> so we we see kind of this 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 shift of what kamigawa was to what kamigawa is now um i will complain still about um the tree actually being too good of a card and being in green but it makes sense for the story itself it just annoys me uh i don't need anything else in green at this point uh but seeing kind of the the way society kind of grew the story itself is kind of an interesting one we get the wanderer um so that was actually a really fun piece and that the Wanderer didn't, it, it kind of made me think of like the mistake that we made with returning to Star Wars where, you know, they basically wrote off this idea that, uh, that Ray was a nobody because I loved it. Everybody thought that the Wanderer was somebody else. <laughs> like it's Elspeth, it's Emrakul. I mean, I don't, it's the Raven Man. It could be any of them. <laughs> but like the fact that it actually was, it, it's not anybody we knew was amazing. 
Oh, yeah, because not everything needs to be connected. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I loved, I was going to say, I I agree with you. I 100% loved that. It was so great. Um, I, I think it just, it also upped the stakes, right? Like the fact that she cannot stay on Kamigawa. And then to know how she's been gone and what has happened during her absence. And then all we saw was some planeswalker that has trouble controlling their spark. And then to get that, how the impact of that has had, not just on her, but on, you know, her best friend growing up, who also is a planeswalker now. Um, Yeah. I basically want to end this. Like, I'm just awkwardly talking around because I know Alex is still here um, with him. And um, <laughs> well, because Alex and I have been talking that so we get at the end of this, we get the Phyrexians. Um, yep. They're, they, they're back. I I do love that Jinka Taxis is so much more competent than Vorinclex. Well, yes. I mean, oh, totally. Completely. <laughs> like actually is doing what Jinja Taxis would do. Um, yes. Whereas Vorinclex is doing exactly what Vorinclex would do. Which right. Is which is also just blundering around in it. the forest. Yeah. It's like I put my seeds and things. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's this will pay off. I take this now. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. This will pay off down the road. Um, since we've had Vorinclex, it meant that we knew that Phyrexia was on the horizon. Um, and we end this with one of a, a very popular and loved planeswalker being completed uh, to be turned into a Phyrexian, uh, which is Tamiyo. So, yeah, I guess I should have prefaced with a spoiler in case people haven't read the story yet. I'm sorry. There's no real easy way to do that. But the cards are out there. The art's going to be very clear about this. Tamio is now a Phyrexian. And one of the things that these stories did was remind us that Tamio is a mom, first of all. And then even when she gets like turned, uh, when she is made one, um, that's like one of the first things mentioned is like she would now protect the Phyrexians because that's what a mom does. And so there's a strong maternity thing to it. And the Phyrexian story line in general is something that can be difficult for some people. I don't know a better way to say that. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. yeah. I don't know if if Ryan or Michelle, if you have something to say there, I I have I have things to say. Okay, go go no, for no, it. Go for it, dude. Um. So this is rough. This is tough for me. I. This is something actually that I I need to spend some more time examining for myself. I don't know what it is exactly about storylines like this. The specifically referencing the forced conversion of a character from who they are and what they believe and turning that against who they are and, and making them now part of something against what they were before that type of storyline triggers a fight response in me to the point where I can only imagine that somehow it's triggering my anxiety and I don't understand why. But to the point where I can't engage with this story now, um, and I, 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 I've been talking to Hobbs about this, and it's something I wanted to to at least talk about on the cast a little bit. It's something I'm still working through, but I'm not. I want to make it very clear that I'm not saying that this was a bad thing that Wizards did, but they have so effectively invoked a story archetype that I avoid that I put a lot of effort into avoiding that I now can't engage with this story. And they also have done it early enough. Like we know what sets are coming out this year. 
we know we're not going to Phyrexia to resolve this the storyline this year. So I don't know when the resolution for this is going to be. And I suspect, <laughs> I mean, it's an effective part of the storytelling is to build that tension, to ratchet that tension. But I don't know when that tension will be released. And so I am probably going to check out of Magic a lot more than I have recently. Um, I haven't actually played, and I've, I've been open about this on the cast. I haven't actually played Magic since before the COVID times. Uh, but I, I've been buying cards, building decks, paying attention to spoilers for the most part. Not every set, but I've been engaging with the game on and off in the last few years. And I think it's going to be mostly off probably for the next year or more um, for me because I just I, I can't engage with this, this storyline. They, they were just too good at what they're doing. And like I said, this is a thing that I I avoid. I, av- I, I by and large, don't uh, Horror genre in general is something that isn't ter- is, is something I generally avoid, but this particular type of story, I don't. I just, I just. So it's like the it's the thing that's bothering you is the perversion of like something that she holds very yes. dear to herself. Yes, it's not necessarily it's, that she's evil now; just no. she's evil. It's specifically that's being filtered through the lens of this is now her family, yeah, which well, she and, reiterates multiple times. A little bit, but it, it's not even just that. It's and and I and I've seen some people I know because some other people are having reactions to this story. Sometimes, and that's what the point of this story was. Like they wanted to get reactions, and I think Wizards was very successful in what they were setting out to do. Um, and I, I did see some people saying, "Well, well, you didn't, you know, something about War of the Spark and, and not a lot of people dying." And it's like, oh, well, this is very different. That's totally <laughs> different. We didn't care. Like the Viashino planeswalker who showed up and then was snuffed immediately. We're like, yeah, we no. don't care about this person. Well, well, that's the point. And it was something like, and and I. The one we cared about, we also uh, found out about in the freaking well, trailer. Yeah. So and I talked. Yeah, like, they tried to ratchet stakes for that, and then they didn't really, act, you know. Six. I think that was a place where they didn't successfully uh, exercise stakes and tension and things. Unlike this, where they are successfully doing it. But like for me, if they had killed Tamio, I would have had a, a visceral reaction because Tamio is one of my favorite characters. But I wouldn't have this revulsion reaction. So, yeah, it, it's again. I'm, I'm trying to. I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that this was a bad thing. At mm-hmm. least I don't think this was a bad thing, but for me, it is. <laughs> um. So to, before we continue, would further like analysis of this be triggering for you? Because I I don't want to no. um, upset you. Which, I, I I appreciate that, and and that was I mean Hobbs and I have talked about this a couple days ago. In fact, we we were going to record this week, and all we ended up doing was just chatting for like an hour and a half, which was just great, which was what we needed, but. That was very helpful, and and it's it's there's been a few days, so I I'll be, and that's part of why I, I wanted to be here. I I, I would be fine with it. So I, I but I appreciate the the question. Gotcha. I I think so. I'm with you. Um, when I first heard, when I saw the art, honestly, I had not read the story before it had come out, before the card came out, and I was like, what? I was extraordinarily i was upset i i felt like grief settle in into my heart and it was it is kind of like you know this this one character who 
has always been inquisitive, kind, gentle, maybe a little aloof, but at her heart has always been an incredibly loving person to see her ruined like this. And, and I think in a while of ways, like perverted, I would almost say like, that's sort of the word I would use because it's perverse. What's happened to her um, was just heartbreaking. And I, like you, Alex, I had a very visceral reaction to this. It, it felt evil. It felt wrong. Um, and then when I, I t- when I took a moment, I just realized like, okay, wow, the story's back. <laughs> I guess if I'm having this much of a reaction to it, I think it's something's mm-hmm. happening. Something is, something's working, but I think, yeah, your, your feelings are like completely valid. And I think they echo a lot of what I was feeling, what a lot of people are feeling. It is so difficult. And I think that this particular genre of, um, of horror is so compelling in this regard. It is so difficult to see someone you care about being completely, it's like walking, it's like a zombie, you know? Like you, you just, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why I hate zombies personally. Yeah. When, except in magic, I love zombies. I love graveyard <laughs> value. I just want to be clear. Yeah. No. Um, but IRL, no, not about that life. Um, I, it's so difficult to see someone you cared about so much suddenly isn't there anymore, but they're physically there, right? But they're mm-hmm. not there anymore. They're not the person you knew. And yeah. it's not like a true death, right? Where no. they're well, gone. And like, now there's a part of them that's still there, but it's dark and twisted. Yeah. And, and acting against all of the things that they held dear before. Exactly. Um, it is very zombie-esque. It's very yeah. Borg. As, uh, yeah, exactly. Did you guys say that you felt violated when you guys found out about that? Like, it felt yeah. like there was, like, certain things, like, unspoken things that were not meant to be, like, messed with. Uh, I... I definitely felt a sense... I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a violation, but I certainly felt a strong... It felt like every fiber of my core being was, like, no. Mm-hmm. Like, just no, N-O, big capital letters, bolded, highlighted, underlined, period at the end. It's a full statement. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like, for me... This is a thing even to to hop to like another hobby, like in, in a Dungeons and Dragons like setting, I have a very hard time with charm and mind control stuff of my characters. And I have the same reaction. Now, this is a place where I'm sitting at a table with my friends and I so I but it also is a much more smaller contained thing so that I know I ha- I, I can box my reaction, deal with the situation, and then it's resolved. But this is, I think, my my biggest issue with this is if, if we were going to to Phyrexia in June and we knew that was the next set, it would be as it wouldn't be a problem for me or as much of a problem because I would know that there's a resolution soon. I would know when it's coming. But now it's like the, it, it it feels like if I'm engaging with magic, there's at any time this can happen again, and I don't know when. Yeah, it's we'll it's almost a lack of consent, right? Yeah. Yes. That's, I think that, that's that was a, the element that was that was that jumped out to me. It's yeah. it, non consensual. It yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think that's sort of the crux of it, right? Like we, it, it's a, it reminds me a lot of like Game of Thrones, 
which is <laughs> a really hard thing to say. Um, but in season one, when we see Daenerys Targaryen, we see her at the very end of season eight, she gets uh, spoilers, I guess, for Game of Thrones, uh, when she gets killed by <laughs> Jon Snow. Um, like, the Daenerys that we see turning, like, if if next episode was like, oh yeah, she's like that now, I'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> no. But we've and I think that was sort of the failure, right, of the eight, of season eight. Like, they they tried to make the case of, like, oh, this is how Daenerys became completely unhinged. And it's like, no, you just did, it's just bad writing. Like, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't believe and I can't accept that this happened. And I think that's, I'm not saying, and that's not saying that this is bad writing, because I actually think yeah. this is very good writing. And yeah. I think that that's, that was one thing that Alex and I had talked about, too, was not to say that this was not a good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. a big difference there so. yeah and I'm, and I'm not even trying to say that they shouldn't do this it's just and, and that's for me it's it's very much my reaction to this type of story and this is a thing wizards has been doing they've been trying to bring in different story types and different telling different types of stories and they've been trying to sort of weave these stories so it's not just like old old you know back when they first started doing story it was like we're going to spend five years telling the same story and then that story is going to be done and we're going to start telling the next story. So there's these huge ramp it off, ramp on, and then ramp off for the story, and no, you know, this engagement gulf in between. And so now they're telling these stories. Some of them are small one-offs, and some of them are part of a larger narrative. But they're always kind of trying to weave these things so that you can be engaged with the story the whole time through. Yeah, and, and I think they're great. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And honestly, I. To, to take a to branch off of what you're saying, I think that they finally learned what they should have learned um, for War of the Spark, which was if you're going to do these little sets, it's important to make these little sets into little gems, into little like because when you look at the Marvel Universe and everyone was talking, I remember Mark Rosewater making that comparison um, of War of the Spark and how it's very much similar to the Avengers and like, oh, we did big endgame and blah, blah, blah. What I think wizards forgot was to make each little brick that builds that whole like shine and that's why i think it's been great so far about the sets that they've released every single set like call time was its own thing with its own questions and themes um the the two-parter that was crimson vow and midnight hunt you know we're talking about the balance of nature and what it is to be human what it is it to live in this world um and the last and this last one is talking about technology and who gets access to it very yeah, very similar in my mind to like i don't know black panther or you know how black panther is like its own thing and then like ant-man's like it's, it's like a heist film and things like that yeah well and it's also gotten to this place where they can tell these stories about like the planeswalkers who go from place to place, but it also gives them opportunity to tell those stories, the, the people who move around, but also tell the stories of the native people on each of these planes. Because again, looking at Magic's history, you had like the um, the whole invasion storyline with Urza and Phyrexia and all that. And that was just that for the most part, the same cast of people going world to world to world, and you don't see the people in those worlds very much. You're focused on this group of people. And then when they kind of took a break from some of these, you get all the one-off blocks with Mirrodin and all, and, and Lorwyn and you know, 
I guess lower ones when you start to see planeswalkers, but they start to do all of these worlds where it's just that world by itself, isolated from everything else. And now they found a way to give us that through line of these characters who can move from place to place. So they're a commonality, but we also get to see the people in the worlds living in this world and what that means to live in this world. I would actually say that like the Ravnica blocks leading up to war actually did a really good job on that. I really, not the um, mm-hmm. through stories, but they had like many just slice of life stories. Like this is what it's like living in the guild. This is my weird pseudo sexual Rakdos romp that I had with this blood witch that I thought was really cool. And I'm this demon. Oh guy. yeah. Nikki it's Drayden's a... uh, vignettes. Oh, so good. So good. I think some of the best writing ever done for magic. If they ever <laughs> decide to do a magic, the gathering TV series, I know that's been something they've been talking about forever. I, and I, I love Chandra <laughs> as a character. She's fantastic. I would much rather just have like six episode hour long self-contained episodes. There can be a three line if you want, but just little like vignettes, like, like those where they're just like, this is life on this plane and this is what's happening. And occasionally you'll see like Jace in the background or Jace is a post credit scene or something. That's, <laughs> that's actually, I'd much prefer that because there's I know, so much I, more avenue to explore. I mean, we talk, we talk a lot about the fact that, uh, I mean, this is my, we're not going to go back into this whole war thing again, uh, fully, but you know, it really seemed to me that we were basically on the point of revolution on Ravnica, right? Like we were almost headed towards this, like the, the guild against the guilds, like the guild structure is not working. And then like all of a sudden, just like a hundred planeswalkers show up and it's gone. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, like that, that's, that's where we were headed. Yes. We had good intrigue heading to like this. And then something. they just make a whole storyline about Bolas. I mean, who even cares about that guy? Like, listen, guys, them once. Um, oh, Michelle and Ryan, I might need another podcast. If- <laughs> oh my gosh. A little side tangent to link it back to Kamigawa. So um, I just want to yeah. clarify with Michelle, because you did um, a lore podcast as well, correct? Yes, I was uh, part of the lore guys for a while. So, so if we're going to get the gang back together, probably not. So. Understandable. Yeah. So Bowles' this whole revenge, because he made a really big stink fit about the Miosian of Night's Reach, essentially dropping Umazawa and Dominaria, resulting in his ancestor, his descendant killing him. He made such a big stink fit about that at the end of um, Future Sight. So was the extent of his revenge literally just stealing the mask and going, ha ha ha, I won? I think so. It's been oh, a while since I reviewed it, that's to be fine, quite honest. That's fine, but I just, I thought it was so weird to see the Miosians actually represented in New Kamigawa again, which is cool because that's a good throwback. Um, and a little shout out um, to Daniel Holt within regards to like Kamigawa mechanics and referencing the older set. He is like seems exceedingly passionate about it, which I think is a good balance with the cultural consultant to actually bring it forward while keeping like essentially the good parts of Kamigawa and the nostalgic parts. That's what I said. They, yeah, like the, we were going to bring it forward, but they were going to be like, okay, Bushido just didn't work and no. we don't like it. Like we're just we, we're going to have samurai. We're doing something different with them. Right. Like we're still going to bring it forward. It's still part of the story and we're not going to hold on to this mechanic just for the sake of holding on to it, which was badly named, badly used everything. Like it just didn't, it was not good. It didn't, so, it didn't work. I was no. just, yeah. Oh, so, so many. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Just like, <laughs> no, oh, no, it, like, it, it didn't. So, um, <laughs> two, 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 three spits for Dushido. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, so this episode, I know we kind of, got over to the story beat because 
I think we have story again. Um, and it happened to be on a plane that was relevant for this representation piece, but also did it could potentially impact kind of Alex's and just engagement with story piece. And we know that we're not always the heaviest lore. I mean, that's not what we do. It's it's usually a vehicle for talking about these real world and less of a focus on the specifics and more on, you know, representation and mental health and all of that. But we want to acknowledge it because the, the, this is a set where we do feel, you know, we wanted to have Michelle and Ryan back because they were here the last time when we were very, very frustrated with, um, with, with, how Killian Lou was was handled, yeah. and we were we'll as disappointed as Dean Ambrose was in Killian Lou's work. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get a negative one, negative one until the turn. You get a negative one until the turn. So bad. Oh my god. So that's you know like that's where we were, and and it was just it it was that the end of that episode we talked about this this rumor. I mean that was one of the, the things that we kind of ended with, and to see that there was care, and to see that there was this video being put forth we alex and i really felt it was important to come back to this um and we just really want to thank ryan and michelle for for being willing to come back and to have this discussion with us because they were the ones that we started this conversation with so yeah well, i mean it was awesome to be here it's always awesome to be here and thank you so much for having me um i don't know how you feel right but i i see i'm super appreciative i you know anytime someone wants to listen to me jabber and like go on tangents you know i'm i'm here for it (laughs) and and i appreciate ryan that you you managed to tangent tangent us back on topic which i'm not sure we've ever managed to do on this cast so it's oh it's it's great it's fine and that's our show for today you can find the host on twitter Hotsq can be found at Hotsq, and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Comicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter, or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmoke, the cast can be found at Patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vinderdotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vinderdotten, or online vindergotten.bandcamp.com Logo art by Steven Raphael who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content as well as magic content of all kinds Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com Thank you all for listening and remember, goblins like snowflakes are only dangerous in numbers <laughs>